Alan Mead is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Well, hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, podcaster, and uh, personal trainer. Yeah, personal trainer. Believe that one. So uh, I have a, I have no guest today. That's something I want to talk to you about. Uh, before I get to there, I'd like to thank uh, Premier Dental Products, who bring this and every episode of the Alan Mead Experience to you. Inspired Solutions for Daily Dentistry. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, their new their new sealant material. It's called BioCoat. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that. I'm going to tell you how I have been using it. Talked about that in a little while. So what I want to talk about today is a couple things. First off, um, I'm going to get this one right out of the way. You need to sign up for the Voices of Dentistry meeting. This episode is going to be released on the 13th of September. So you have exactly five days after this is released to get your $300 off the incredibly low price of $897 for the Voices of Dentistry meeting. It's super cheap, 16 hours of CE, all the like amazing speakers, all the greatest dental podcasters all in one place. You can meet them, you can podcast with them, you can hang out with them. It is literally the most interactive meeting that you'll ever go to. The one last year, my mind was blown. I'm not even that social of a person, but this was great because these are all like-minded people, people who listen to podcasts, people who are into into this kind of stuff. So it's the most like-minded meeting you'll ever go to. It is the most like laid back, but you'll get tons out of it. You got to do it. It's in Scottsdale, Arizona in the middle of January, right? At the end of January, 26th and 27th of January to be exact. It's at the Doubletree Resort in Scottsdale, which is a super posh place. I was a fan of the place we did it in Nashville, but that place was kind of nothing special compared to the Doubletree. So uh, honestly, end of February, end of January, Pretty great place to be, Scottsdale, Arizona. Really great meeting, really inexpensive, and all the people you want to see, the people you listen to, the people who live in your head, in between your ears, just do this. Do this for me. I want to see you there. I'm going to be there. I can meet every single one of you. And honestly, we need you to sign up now. The sooner we know that people are coming, the better off we're going to be, the better off we're going to feel. So just do this for me. Voicesofdentistry.com. Before September 18th, you get your $300 off the already incredibly low price. So just do it. Now that's out of the way. Now what I, I want to, what I, I'm sort of itching to talk to you about this specific thing. Um, there was a Boston Globe article that came out last week. I think it was early last week. The, the, uh, let me see the date. The date was actually September 5th. So it was what it was, uh, it was middle, like it was a week ago. It was like a Wednesday. Dentists, two poor people drop dead. That's the the title of the uh, this article. It's in the Boston Globe. I read it when it first came out. I read it multiple times, and honestly, I I made a point of not really commenting on it in the Dental Hacks Nation too much um, because it really my blood pressure got up about it. It was really it was a hatchet job. Um, part of what I want to talk about is the specifics of the article, but but another part of it is that um, dentists. Dental people in general, but dentists specifically, are like whatever the opposite of sympathetic is. Honestly, in the media, dentists are a huge punching bag. We cannot we, we cannot seem to get ahead. And uh, I think dentists have a problem with this. There's a point, 
I, I'm literally at a point where this is so common that this these hatchet articles come out now. And I mean, I I used to write about them like I when the when the the lion uh, uh, Cecil the lion came out, I wrote something on my blog about it. Said, hey, don't blame us, that sort of thing. And I'm coming to realize that it is it is literally wasted breath. It is at this point. Uh, the media and just people in general are not going to give dentists a fair shake because what we actually have to do to people is horrible enough to them, apparently, on their own that, that we're already, you know, we got two strikes against us before you ever talk about it. But, but I mean, this this article is so, um, I don't know. What's funny about it is the article, I, I think, is trying to promote the idea of mid-level providers in dentistry. But it does it in such an unkind, like nasty way. Like it doesn't make a good argument for mid-level providers. And I won't lie to you; I think there are some good arguments for mid-level providers. Um, I also think there are some arguments against it too. So I am not like I know that uh, the ADA and, and a lot of the a lot of the state organizations are really against it. I don't have a super strong feeling against it because I I can see some reason to have them. But what's funny about it is that argument to me is kind of buried in the article a little bit. It's like it's like you almost have to like pull away the entire paragraphs of absolute bile that this dude is spitting at dentists. There is no doubt in my mind that this guy's had some horrible experience with a dentist, and and he's just he's very very. His name is uh, Alex Beam. Just very angry about dentists. Like, okay, so the very first very first uh, the very first paragraph. Dentists who seem like perfectly nice people when you meet them at after school events or at the grocery store are carving out a bizarre public persona that is a mixture of Simon Legree, Snidely Whiplash, and Dr. Evil. So, really? <laughs> really, that's what we're doing? Give me a break. So, the women and men who fix your teeth, this is a link to another story, now make more money per capita than doctors. So, right there and then, first off, like like dentists are this like low life form, and we can't believe that dentists might make more money than per capita for doctors. Well, let's just be, let's just, honestly, let's be serious about this. Uh, doctors uh, are a large group. And frankly, there are so many specialties in medicine. I guarantee you that if you break that out into specialties, that that averages a whole lot. Like I suspect that you've got family practice and, and more generalized specialties. They may make less than a, than a private practice dentist. But I, I guarantee you that you get orthopedic surgeons or dermatologists, or or these other subspecialties, they're making way more than dentists on average. It's sort of silly. It doesn't really make that much difference. Bottom line is that doctors are held in high esteem, and dentists are not. And holy cow, this guy can't believe that dentists might make more than doctors. Give me a friggin' break. I'm sorry. It just drives me crazy that to preserve their high incomes, dentists have historically refused to participate in Medicare because of low imbursements, and ditto for Medicaid. Well, okay, this is a journalist. And it's an opinion piece, but I'm assuming he's a journalist. Medicare doesn't cover dentistry; it never has. It does not. There are some limited, like hospital-based dental procedures it covers, but it's not a dental program at all. Okay, so he throws that out first thing. He's wrong from the very beginning. Okay, like Medicaid, state Medicaid programs uh, can have dental dental programs. A lot of most states probably do. But the bottom line is, Medicare has nothing to do with dentistry. But yet he throws it out there like dentists don't take Medicare. Well, because Medicare doesn't cover dentistry for anyhow. So, I mean, he, so not only is he snarky, he's not well informed clearly about this. Now dentists are resolutely, some would say fanatically, opposing efforts to let dental hygienists 
and dental therapists deliver prophylactic care to children, the elderly, and to poor and underserved reasons in America. Well, because we're just horrible. We're just awful people. <laughs> um, I This is the part where, where it gets under my skin a little bit. It, it's it's We're being portrayed just like always as, as these horrible people that, that uh, he goes on to talk about the, um, oh, what's it, Diamante driver who died of a, a brain, you know, a brain abscess from a tooth infection. And I mean, it's, it's very one-sided. It's very, it, obviously that's tragic. Anyone knows that's tragic. And they're saying he died because of a Medicaid. There was no one who took Medicaid. I don't know. I'm not sure. But, I mean, at some point or another, I think he was in the hospital for a long time. It's like the treatment that would have saved him at that point for sure wasn't his tooth. I mean, he had a brain infection. It's, mind you, it may have started from his tooth, and he he may not have been able to get into a dentist. I don't know. But they look at it as just dentists being horrible people. So let me just step back here. Uh, last I checked, the state of Michigan, where I live and work, uh, the reimbursement levels for for dentistry – uh, on the Medicaid program are such that your overhead, I mean, they, they would not cover a regular dentist's overhead. Um, at least, you know, like if you have, if your overhead is, is probably normal, like most dentists, I would say somewhere between 65 and 70%. Um, many have gotten it much lower, but let's be honest. A lot of us are probably higher than that in some ways too, but somewhere in there, like that means that, that if Medicaid doesn't cover, you know, a percentage of your fee, that percentage of your fee, you're losing money when you see those patients. And I know that in Michigan, it's a significantly lower percentage on pretty much all of the procedures that they cover. So what what this journalist and, and basically no media will say is that to take Medicaid means that not you're losing money to take Medicaid. And so like I am essentially, if you, if you take Medicaid and see a patient at a loss, you're paying for that patient's, you're paying for that patient's care on some level. You know, they're, they're, they're asking dentists to work for free and I think tons of dentists work for free in a lot of cases. I have to say that, like, I've done Mission to Mercy a bunch of times. I've done Give Kids a Smile a bunch of times. I've done Donated Dental Services a bunch of times. And I think those programs are excellent. I think those programs are good for people and their dental health. But I do think that it's an organized dentistry's, like, mewling apology for the fact that, quote-unquote, dentistry is too, too expensive. It frustrates me because we, we're constantly pointing to these charity things that we do for for patients that we do all this free dentistry. Well, frankly, I do a ton of free dentistry in my office for recovering people. I, I mean, I see a lot of recovering people at at no cost to them, and uh, I I don't I say that now. And of course, I'm not trying. I'm not looking for a pat on the back. I do that because I I'm able to make a great living and I can do this. But but I choose to see those patients and I choose the care that I deliver on them. Um, Medicaid. Uh, that's you are not choosing to you you work at a loss if you at least I would work at a loss if I chose to see Medicaid patients and and what they cover the procedures that they cover uh, are lousy procedures in other words they're not good for that patient's dental health as far as I can tell uh, when you know when they'll cover they'll cover uh, you know amalgams they they will cover a core buildup I know but there's no crowned bridge there's no indirect restorations there's extractions you could do. I think they might do flippers. They might they might cover some other removal, but basically, they're covering this level of care that that I think most dentists wouldn't aspire to. I mean, that's not that's. I struggle with this. So basically, what if you take Medicaid? Uh, there's an admittance. There's an admission that that there are you know the level of dental care that we would strive to give our patients 
And not all patients accept whatever I consider or you consider or anyone considers ideal care, but some people do. But I mean, like more ideal care, meaning we save teeth, we do the best we can to restore teeth. Um, you know, there's a level of care that they're asking us for, for poor people that's like not as good as we've got for people who have insurance or are paying cash. Because Medicaid will cover these procedures, they won't cover those procedures, and frankly, they cover whatever procedure they cover poorly. I have to say, I have opinions about a lot of things, and this would be considered political, I'm sure. I'm not good at arguing political opinions. I, I don't, in a way, I'm a little, I'll have an emotional reaction, or I have a strong sense of justice and, and a strong sense of my reactions end up being emotional and that never is good for argumentation. You need to have thought out argumentation to do, but I'm just, I'm insulted by this article and frankly, pretty much any article that talks about dentists because they portray us as this cartoonishly rich, greedy dude who doesn't care about anyone. And yet I have run into very few dentists that I would consider that way. There are plenty of dentists that are, that are doing the wrong thing because they can profit from it. Yeah, it happens. But I think that's, that's more about being human than being a dentist. I think most dentists really want to help people, but I also think that like as a dentist, I feel like if you defend yourself from the kinds of charges that are being leveled in this article, you're not doing yourself any favors at all. You're not doing any favors at all. And that frustrates me. Oh, does it frustrate me? In other words, I'm to the point where I just don't even want to say anything. If you if you try and explain, look, Medicaid is reimburses me so poorly for the work that I do that I can't even pay my, I, I, I lose money to try and pay my team for seeing these people. They don't want to hear that. They're, they're, I feel like the media and these types of authors are almost willfully pretending that it's, it's simple greed and nothing more to it. I mean, I don't see anyone else falling all over themselves to work for free, to give it away. What about the lawyers? I think I think in, as soon as I see a lot of lawyers that are lining up to give their legal services to poor people, then I'll start looking. Uh, physicians, probably because they see Medicaid, may may be quote unquote giving it away, but frankly, they get paid something for it. And let's be honest, medicine. Uh, <laughs> I was I was talking to a listener today, came to lunch today, and we laughed. I think the whole reason that dentists are greedy in the eyes of the public is because generally speaking, we do a good job at explaining the price of our procedures and how much it's going to cost the patient to have the procedure done, right? You'd think, wait a second, no, that's good. You're, you're giving them informed consent. You're explaining what the procedure is, how much it's going to cost, how much their insurance benefits may help them with, and the amount that they're going to pay. You're thinking that's a great service. Well, I want you to step back and go to any physician's office and have any procedure or any exam done. And before they do it, I want you to ask them how much it's going to cost. And I want you to take a photo of the person that you ask. And I want you to post the photo of the deer in the headlights look when they actually get this question. Now, mind you, I don't necessarily know what everything costs in my office, but I can darn bet you that I can find someone who can give them the exact number and give them a very accurate assessment if they have benefits how much their insurance is going to help with and what they're going to pay for it so i think that dentists are considered the bad guys and greedy because we explain what stuff costs before we do it go to your go to a physician or any doctor any hospital they just do stuff 
There is not a discussion of money prior to procedures being done. There really isn't. I, if if you can say, oh, no, but the mine did, that's the rarity for sure. Like you talk to most people and procedures are just done. I don't even know if they get informed consent, much less a financial informed consent. But in any case, so they do the procedures. They throw it out to whatever insurance you have. The insurance adjusts the fee for whatever. And then you get a bill like two months later this bill was never talked about. Your amount was never talked about. So, and either you pay it or you don't, and they send you collections. It's a mess. I mean, so in a way, dentists come off as being greedy bastards because we actually discuss financial options prior to doing the treatment. I'm convinced that that's the case. So, like, when was the last time you turned some away, someone away because they were a poor person? Like, never. But if you explain what stuff is going to cost and it's too expensive for them, you're a greedy son of a gun. Uh, it's just that medicine doesn't actually do a good job of informed consent financially, and dentistry does. I think we come off looking like the greedy ones. So I'm just very frustrated. I feel like the, when when these hatchet pieces are done on dentists, it's like there's a certain amount of willful ignorance that the authors put out there that they're not going to look at the fact that dentists run their own businesses, and frankly, when they can't, when they're not getting paid for services, they're actually they're you know they're they're not doing it. You can't keep doing that. You can't keep working at a loss and, and stay open. You can't pay your employees. You can't continue to give patients good service when the when the doors aren't open. So it's frustrating, and maybe I sound like Rush Limbaugh or some wicked conservative saying this, but I just I just feel so bad that, that dentists literally in the media, this is all you ever see anymore. And, and even defending yourself, defending the profession, uh, you know, is it's almost not worth doing because we get beat down so much. So that was the first thing I wanted to talk about. I want, I want to kick it over to um, a new product that Premier uh, Dental has released in the last little while. It's called BioCoat. It is a, an actual, you hear lots of stuff about bioactive materials. And I, am, I have to tell you, I'm not that much up on it. I have a lot of friends that know more about it than I do. But, but Premier has, has released this, and their, their bioactive material is a little different than, than um, most other ones. Now, I always heard in dental school and moving forward that, that glass ionomer was an amazing material for high caries patients because uh, it was fluoride releasing. And what's interesting about that is my understanding about that is it, it is fluoride releasing, particularly in the beginning. And I always heard that you could recharge it with like fluoride, uh, fluoride rinses or fluoride toothpaste. And it was, but I think it is a less than ideal, um, it's a less than ideal storage for fluoride and that sort of thing. It's it's literally, I think the material has to kind of break down for it to release the fluoride. So I, th- I think that's in some ways that that fluoride releasing uh, aspect of glass anor may have been a little bit overblown. Now what's interesting, Premier has released this new product. It's called BioCode. It's a Pitt and Fisher sealant. And uh, I'm not a fan of Pitt and Fisher sealants at all. I really haven't been. Uh, I, I was when I first got out of dental school. And then what I what I found was that uh, Pitt and Fisher sealants to be done well, uh, in my estimation, is you actually have to operate on the tooth a little bit. Like, like frankly, um, I found that Pitt and Fisher sealants tend to be after I've sort of dissected out that groove to see if there's any, you know, see if the involvement is is only in enamel or if it's gotten into to dentin. Uh, I think you have to do that under really excellent isolation. You have to do it with high magnification because you can't even really difficult to see down into those pits so those pits and grooves so the story is unless you're really opening them up and cleaning them out i don't know that you know what you're getting into 
Um, so I still, you know, I, I limit, I do less, I do less sealants than a lot of people do, but I have to tell you this material is sort of changing my mind a little bit because what's, what's special about this material this is a pit and fisher sealant, but it, it has a new technology that premier has invented. And it's literally like, it's sort of the, the test case for this material. It's called smart cap technology. And, uh, basically the smart cap stuff, it's got little teeny tiny little resin micro capsules they call them and they're they're semi-permeable and basically what it is is it's a rechargeable little teeny tiny baggie in the material that can actually release fluoride calcium or phosphate molecules um and it's like it's actually proven to do this stuff so the reality is, is that um dye, dye penetration studies show that this actually it, it does it the way that we always hoped that glass ionomer did what's really cool about it is it really is rechargeable so it actually uptakes, you know, takes up fluoride as well as releasing fluoride, that sort of thing. So it helps remineralization. And honestly, when you think about it, a uh, really good place to do that would be a pit and fisher area. So, like, these are these super, uh, they're areas that are they're high caries prone. So really kind of a great place for this technology to be. Now, I have it under good authority that this smart cap technology is going to be used in other materials coming out eventually. So this is kind of the this is kind of the shot across the bow. This is the this is the the test case the to prove that it really does its thing. Well, meanwhile, I've used it. I've used it several times now on patients, and it's great. It it places as nicely as any uh, sealant you've ever used. It's got fifty six percent filled, so it's it's highly filled. Most uh, most Pitt and Fisher sealants aren't even close to that, but it's it's highly filled. So basically, when you're placing it, it's it's just about like a flowable composite as it is. But it flows super nicely. It flows really as nicely as any pit and fisher sealant you've used. Um, it is really nice. It's it's not prone to bubbles. That's like the most annoying thing ever with pit and fisher sealants when you get a bubble and you gotta you gotta ream out the bubble and re, anyhow this you just don't get the bubbles that you do. But also you're protecting these grooves like you've never done it before because it it is allows you to re etch or not re etch re add fluoride phosphates calcium. Very cool stuff. I think you should try it. I think you're going to like it. And the cool thing is, if you try it now, you're going to be ready to start using these actual bioactive materials that are going to, you know, work the way that you work. Like, my guess is, I don't know this. They haven't told me this, but I assume I assume the next thing is going to be a flowable composite. I think they're going to have a flowable composite. What a nice thing to use along with your regular composites. Lining your composites with this stuff. Seems like a really cool thing. So I want you to give it a try. It's called BioCoat by Premier. Uh, Pitt and Fisher sealant. I think you're going to love it. Premier Dental Products, Inspired Solutions for Daily Dentistry. So I was ranting about this Boston Globe, uh, this Boston Globe story, and I just wondered if other people had thought about this stuff. I, I got to say that um, it was a kind of a, uh, I think the, the role of it originally was that they wanted to talk about the dental therapists. And I have to say that I don't really have, as I mentioned, I don't really have a strong feeling either way about dental therapists. Uh, but I do think it's, Okay. They try and relate the dental therapist to the nurse practitioner or the physician's assistant in like saying it's the same kind of position. And I think it is. So they can do limited uh, restorative dental procedures and limited, I think it's typically uh, direct fillings, which is funny because I think fillings are hard enough to do with a really highly trained dentist and assistant, but these people are supposed to be able to do them on their own apparently. Um, and then uh, they can do simple extractions, and the the greatest and most horrible joke, they're all simple until they're not, right? So 
but I think they're they're you know they can do. Um, I think they must be able to do perio stuff because a lot of a lot of the people that are doing this are actually hygienists, so they're going back for advanced training. But I don't think you have to be a hygienist. It depends. There are there are not that many programs in the country, but I know University of Minnesota was sort of a. I think they were sort of the first one. That's where I went to dental school too. So, um, basically, I think the concept is for them to be mid level providers that work with dentists. And and when I think about it, I'm like, okay, the way you make Medicaid work in these programs, these public you know public health public assistance programs work is efficiency. A dental practice that I think a lot of us aspire to, we're efficient, but to be honest, we take continuing education classes and, and, and we aspire to be comprehensive dentists doing big cases, doing big implant cases, doing big restorative cases, big cosmetic cases, changing people's lives. That's not the kind of dentistry that they're talking about here at all. And, and honestly, I think dental practices of us aspiring frou-frou dentists don't fit real well into this model. But I think about a model, I'm like, okay, let's say your goal was to really provide a lot of really efficient care at a decent care, not high-end care, but decent care, but a lot of it. Like see as many patients as you can to up your efficiency to make what, you know, basically if you can see more procedures in the same amount of time, you're more efficient and all of a sudden what wasn't profitable and wasn't covering your overhead might cover your overhead because you're working that much more efficiently. So if these dental therapists are meant to work with a dentist, an overseeing dentist, I look at it like, what if like three or four or five of these therapists worked on patients and, and you had one dentist overseeing them that had a light or maybe even non-existent schedule, or maybe they were just checking hygiene and the dentist was there to basically do the bailout procedures for the therapists because invariably uh, removing decay for a, for a restoration you're going to have a pulp exposure. And, and like, for instance, I think therapists are not supposed to do endo. So you've got a dentist who can come in and determine uh, if the tooth is a, you know, a good prospect for endo, start the endo, that sort of thing. Or uh, uh, if they're doing surgery and it becomes a complicated surgery that the, the therapists aren't supposed to do, the dentist could be there to bail out. So it's almost like a therapist could be used to really stretch uh, you know, one dentist's ability to see multiple patients. I do think that makes a lot of sense. And frankly... Maybe if we're talking about these public assistance programs, maybe that's the way to do it. Like you get yourself a really flexible team uh, where you've got one dentist overseeing a bunch. I could see that making sense. I, and I honestly, the way that it's legislated, the way that the politicians talk about it is it's all about people that don't have dentists in their area. So underserved areas, which I think that's real, but I don't think it's as real of a thing. Like, how do these underserved areas work out if Medicaid just paid more? You know, in other words, if dentists open their, are they underserved because there's no dentists there? I think there are some places that are like that, but are, or is it underserved because there are no dentists that are willing to take that, take that pay cut, like to, to serve these, these people. So, I mean, I'm thinking of a model that could work, but the other thing is my question is that overhead's going to be there. Uh, unless you're working super efficiently, it doesn't really matter if it's a dentist or a, therapist delivering that care right the overheads there and i don't think the therapists are going to want to necessarily work for next to nothing right i mean these therapists are going to be paid you know more than a hygienist i'm assuming significantly more than a hygienist i know that physicians assistants and nurse practitioners which are sort of the model that that these are being they make a really good living i mean arguably depending on the kind of hours they work they make they make as much money as physicians in some cases 
So I don't think you're finding therapists that are going into this so they can be low paid to help, you know, just because they're altruistic and helping the poor. I think, I think this is the kind of thing where you have to look at the way these people are paid. And all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, where's the savings, right? Like there is an overhead to be able to deliver this kind of care. I mean, you can't just, you can't make stuff. Uh, you, you can't fix teeth with mirrors and explorers. You know, you got to have materials, you got to have training, you got to have instrumentation, you got to have sterols. Like all these same things are going to apply to the dental therapist. So it really depends on the model, I think. And I'm not sure that we have a handle on the model, to be honest. What about a model of a more high, I guess, I think about like the model of a more high-end thing too. Like what if you had a similar model where you had a dental therapist or two working with a dentist where their goal was to do higher-end care? And all of a sudden you've got this this uh, therapist that can do clearly more than an extended function dental assistant, right? An expanded function dental assistant can do a lot of stuff, but this therapist can actually drill on teeth. This therapist can, you know, prepare and, and restore direct restorations. There's there's a lot of stuff. And Jason Smithson talked about in one of the earlier shows, talking about, you know, in cases where he's had therapists as well as dentists, some of the therapists have better eyes and hands than the dentists, and that could be totally real. So I'm thinking to myself, what if you had a dentist who had a couple therapists that were able to do these things and they sort of learned how the dentist likes to do it. So all of a sudden, what if you had Jason Smithson deciding he wanted to be able to deliver more of the high-end care that he does, and so he literally mentors and trains the dental therapists that work underneath him, and they're all doing these cases. So I can see some different models for it, but I know a lot of times the politicians are are saying this is only for underserved populations. I just don't know if that's real, and I also don't know that someone going to school for a long time for a dental therapy degree, I don't know that they only want to be, you know, like for instance, in Minnesota, I don't know if they want to just be in international falls. Uh, I think, I think you're going to find a lot of these people would like to live in the twin cities, just like the rest of, of people in Minnesota. You know, the high, these high population areas are, that's where people want to live. And I don't, unless you make it. So they, the only way that they can practice their craft is that they're in an underserved area. And I don't know that the politicians have the stomach to require that. I really don't. I'm not sure that that's, that's going to be the requirement. So anyhow, I, I know that I, I stopped griping about the Boston Globe article specifically because it gets under my skin so much. And I, I don't even know. I think it was supposed to be a pro-dental therapist article, and it mostly was just a let's be talk nasty about dentists. If you, if you appreciate your sanity, do yourself a favor and don't read the comments. Honestly, it's, it's, it, it will make you feel horrible about humanity in general. So just don't read the comments. I'm not even kidding. Um, but I am curious to, to hear what you think. Cause I am, uh, I don't know that I have this right. I have these opinions and I don't know that I have all the arguments. Like I said, a lot of times these political hot potatoes, I'm not so sure that I necessarily understand all the angles, but I do know that, uh, humans react to incentives and unless the incentives are aligned correctly, you got, you got screwed up stuff all over the place. Do I think poor people need dentistry? Yes. Do I think that the way that it's done right now, there's a there's several tiers of dentistry and poor people only get like the worst right now? Yeah, I kind of do. I don't think that's right, but I also think that, uh, you know, restoring teeth and, and, and providing dentistry costs money. There's an overhead there. And I think the people that write these articles are almost going out of their way to deny this sort of thing, to pretend like it's not a business and it's, and it's, it's all about feelings and dentists are just cruel because we're greedy. So again, I'm to a point where I don't really much want to try and defend anymore because it's no one's changing anyone else's mind with that stuff. But I just thought I would bring it out there. So if you have any questions or comments, feel free to email me 
at Allen at the Allen Meat Experience. That's A L A N at the Allen Meat Experience. Or even better, join the Allen Meat Experience uh, Facebook group. Um, it's growing slowly but surely. We have over a hundred people in there. Good discussions over there. We could definitely talk about this. But to join, you need to know the code word. I don't let anyone else in. I don't let anyone in unless you know the code word. The code word is Premier. And uh, it asks for a little question. What's the code word? And, and it's Premier. And I will let you in. And there's good discussion there. We'd love to see you there. So I thank you so much for listening to the Alan Mead Experience. Uh, it's it's a little self-indulgent to have a podcast like this where I just get to talk about what I want to talk about. But we have kind of a cool community that I really enjoy interacting with. If you have any questions, comments, uh, suggestions for the show, like people that you'd like to hear me talk to or topics you'd like me to talk about, I'm wide open. And uh, thank you a ton for listening to the show. And we will. Oh, hey, listen, I'm going to be at the uh, DS World. I'm leaving like the day that this is released, which is Wednesday the 13th. I'm leaving for Las Vegas to uh, go to uh, Densply Serona World. And I'm speaking actually on Saturday. I'm giving a presentation called uh, Emails from My Addiction. Pretty proud of this presentation. It's, it's, I hope it's entertaining. It's a little heavy. It's a lot about my story of addiction. But uh, I'm kind of telling it in an interesting way, I hope. Tough tough crowd on a, a Saturday morning on 9 in the morning talking about addiction in Las Vegas. But I'm hoping that if if, uh, if you're there, you'll drop by and say hi. I'd love to see you there. You'll probably find me on the floor. Tarun uh, and I are kind of kicking around the idea of doing some podcasting. He has a booth there. The 3D dentists have a booth there. So come check that out on the floor. Uh, really hoping to see you guys there. And again, thank you so much for listening to the show. And we will talk to you again soon. All right, go over to iTunes for me. Leave me five stars. Leave me a review. Let the world know what I'm doing here. It's fun to hear from you guys. I love reading the the reviews. They're very kind. And uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. We'll talk to you again soon.